Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate, I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee, everything school HQ, Tennessee baseball, uh, taking care of business against Austin P following a weekend by where they did not actually play any mm. college baseball games over the weekend. Um, it was one of those rare off uh, weekends in the early part of May for the men's uh, Tennessee baseball team. So that is all we have to say about that matter. We should focus on more pressing things like the University of Georgia crumbling with Dominic Blaylock uh, not only entering the portal, but joining Brent Key and following Buster Faulkner to the Georgia Tech to the flats. Well, we're just with the we're jacket. Just That's jump what we want to focus right on. into it. But um, you know, I didn't really get much of an intro there, so you know, I didn't. I wasn't really well, sure where to where to where to hop in to this. Well, conversation. I thought I was going to do a whole thing, and I'm like, I don't really have a lot of Tennessee. I can't really brag right now at Tennessee. I mean, Kellen Lindstrom is entering the fold, four star edge. So another one, Tennessee's going to be another top 10 class. It's pretty much a lock at this point. I wasn't, gonna... I wasn't talking about your Tennessee intro. I was talking about my personal okay. intro well, onto the, where I'm, it's my turn to speak. You know what okay. I'm saying? So. Well, that's fellow University of North Georgia alumni, Matt Green. <laughs> Matt, good evening. How are you? How's it going, sir? Uh, not to uh, not to get in the middle. I know the listeners wanted to hear more about whatever Tennessee <laughs> sports you're talking about, but... Um, I'm coming to you. I'm feeling good on this mm-hmm. Tuesday uh, evening. Um, I would say roughly 25, 30 miles west of what they call everything school HQ in Athens, Georgia. Taking two out of three this weekend versus the Tennessee Vols. Love to see it. Chase Thomas over here just making me care about sports I don't even care about. Like I didn't watch one second of this series. I will admit that. But I saw the I saw the final scores each day and I was just thinking after they won that second game, 
if Georgia takes two out of three against Tennessee, this is going to be very sweet. So Foley Field, you don't just you don't just walk into Foley Field and expect to uh, get the series win. So Bulldogs protecting protecting the home turf. God, I hate that. I have, to, <laughs> I have nothing. I can't really. I, Tennessee is just such a bad road team. Like they're just the best team in college baseball when they're at home and on the road just has been a dumpster fire all year long just a t- completely different team which is a problem because they're probably not going to host a regional and if they want to advance and make it back to the college world series they're going to have to win uh primarily on the road so i don't it's know it's just like those high school football days or high school sports days when when the football school like beats you in basketball and then they start chanting just like football you know that whole thing it's like they don't even care about this sport and now they're like now they're bragging about it like it's uh it's it's good stuff gotta love it i i gotta be a good sport like tennessee lost two or three this weekend that did happen for sure and also on a personal note Mm -hmm. we've uh we've got we've come across a third rottweiler i Uh, saw the picture here i showed it to my wife and i was like send it our way send him our way oh man this dog is incredible i i would man he's oh you're like, keeping him he's that's the what's perfect, happening he's honestly the perfect dog if you're um, keeping him if uh he's just such good just good manners i think for especially for a boy who's not fixed like he's so approachable but um yeah well hopefully not getting our fingers you know crossed i mean we are getting our hopes up uh there's somebody who's reached out that like we i know through my brother so hopefully um you know we're gonna drive him out like an hour away um so we'll hopefully like they're gonna meet the kids and and all that sort of thing tomorrow so hopefully that can happen and we can he can find his uh forever home because so basically to tell you the story it's big big construction development going on probably a couple miles down the street from us and construction workers found him and i guess someone pointed him towards our house they're like they have rottweilers it might be theirs you know and it was not ours but um we were just like i actually drove with them to like another house to like see if it was their rottweiler because i know of like one other house wasn't theirs so me and tori just like i mean we can't not keep we can't not try to do something to to help this dog so uh we've been putting all kinds of things out there calling people and so i think i think we may have a lead so i'll, uh, I'll give you an update next week see how that goes but a lead as in not where he came from, just on a lead for a new no, home No, definitely can't, haven't found anything about where he came from. But in terms of someone who hopefully wants to keep him as a, as a family dog. But not chipped. No, not chipped or anything. Mm. So, and uh, yeah. So, Who's not chipping their pups anymore? Like, we got Khaleesi right Who knows, man? Out. This guy's living on the street. Like, mm. he's probably eight, ten months old. Like, he's definitely not fully grown, but... Uh, it's like the sweetest dog ever. So I'm like, these dogs like better behave than both of our dogs. So I don't know. I don't know what that says. This man's coming off the street, just uh, already better on the leash and all kinds of things. How is Zeus handling another Rottweiler in the fold? No, we we don't have him. Like we just have him like in the garage, just kind of give him. Have a they not met? Access. Like we tried to kind of introduce him, but our dogs like just started. Maddox Maddox sucks at meeting people. <laughs> like he's honestly terrible. That's on, that's on us. That's on us. But um, but yeah, it's and we're not like and he's he's not fixed too. So he was just trying to like Zeus is cool. But he's like, then he starts trying to hump once he's getting excited. Um, not Zeus, but the new dog, because he's not mm. fixed. But uh, yeah, so it's like, can't really have him mingling. So we just mm. got him out there. He's got some space. Uh, and yeah, we'll, we're holding on to him. Hopefully, uh, hopefully someone, someone this week, we can, uh, we can find somewhere for him. Have but you been yeah, calling him anything? It's been a busy day. Or a busy couple days this week. Have you called him anything? 
What do you? Oh, say? they actually named him Rowan because this oh. like huge development that's going on. It's up three sixteen over there in Gwinnett. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like Rowan. I don't know. That's like the name of like the whole big project. I'm not really sure, but so that's what this little the, these the construction workers. That's what they called him. So that's what we just, that's what we just kept calling him because you know don't want to get too attached. Even though he's he's an amazing dog for sure. There you go. That was a good selling point. I like that. He definitely never... is, man. Like he's like literally the like the perfect dog. Like if we and Tori were in a different stage, it's like the perfect dog just like came to our house, to our front door, basically, because he's not fully grown. A big dog, like big breed like that, I want him to not be fully grown, like when I get him, but the puppy stuff just sucks. You know, you, the, mm. the idea of the puppy is cool, but oh man, it's it's frustrating. So it's like eight, ten month old, he's still got some room to grow, but still young, you know, but yeah, so we would definitely we would definitely keep this dog if we didn't already have two. So, yeah, mm. but it was a yeah busy couple of days for sure. There you go, there you go. Well, don't forget, folks, every Tuesday night and first thing on your Wednesday morning commute, the full ride here with Matt Green talking all things college football each and every week. So make sure you're subscribed on your preferred podcast player so you never miss an episode on this daily national sports show. You can also watch us on YouTube, youtube.com slash Chase Thomas Podcast. Like and subscribe uh, there as we march towards a thousand on the YouTube page. You can always email us for a future show at Chase Thomas Podcast at gmail.com for any mailbag questions you might have for us, anything of the sort. As always, if you are already a fan of the full ride with Matt Green and myself here on the Tuesday night, Wednesday morning show, uh, leave us a rating interview on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If that is how you're listening, it helps other people find the show and it helps this very show continue to grow. Uh, Matt Green, Auburn. We have some new stuff we got to get into before we do our SEC over-unders. Way too early SEC over-unders because we're going to do this summer, our actual preview here um, for the series uh, for each conference. But I wanted to throw that out. I'm sure these lines will change, too, between now and August. That's probably true as well Um, because injuries are a part of the sport. Uh, And also the portal. There's still some potential moves to be made here. But speaking of the portal, Auburn had two big ads, and one of them came out of nowhere. We were wondering if it was going to be Casey Thompson, who entered the portal. It looks like he lost the spring quarterback battle against Jeff Sims, formerly of Georgia Tech at Nebraska. So it looks like Sims is going to be QB1 in Lincoln. But then it wasn't Casey Thompson. You thought Hugh Freeze, Casey Thompson made more sense, more mobile in the pocket, more experience, has at least shown flashes uh, of late of being a, a good, solid at worst college quarterback, power five quarterback. Peyton Thorne was just bad last year um at michigan state and there were questions about like hey what kind of fit is he because he freeze just we haven't seen quarterbacks like peyton thorne as much uh during the Hugh freeze college coaching era so it is interesting to see that peyton thorne was ultimately the guy that auburn went with out of the portal it's also interesting that robbie ashford who was a highly touted uh hoover kid uh coming in there four-star quarterback who played a lot last year for the tigers they didn't feel sold uh, clearly on what they had with just Ashford um, and company. They have a, a big time freshman whose name escapes me right now, who probably is the guy uh, next year, um, but his name I cannot remember off the top of my head. But um, Matt Green, they bring him in and they bring in a big Ohio State guy who got kind of lost in the shuffle because Ohio State has dudes everywhere. <laughs> it's just really hard to get on the field as a wide out at Ohio State, um, Caleb Burton. So 
I think it's interesting. I think Auburn and what Hugh Freeze has done in the portal as a whole has been pretty impressive this offseason. He's obviously recruiting uh, immediately at a top 10, top 15 level at Auburn, um, righting a lot of wrongs from the Brian Harson era and clearly a better fit um, for the region and um, what's expected at Auburn. But what do you make of all of that and Peyton Thorne ultimately being an Auburn Tiger and potentially a, a day one starter this fall? Well, I would definitely say that I wouldn't be sold on Robbie Ashford as like, mm. like he was a, you know, fairly highly ranked recruit, you know, but like we've seen plenty of top, what, 200 four star type commit. Like you have no idea what you're getting. You're, you're going to get in that, in that kind of range. So he's obviously got talent. He's a great athlete, but I mean, what, seven touchdowns, I think seven picks last year, like he was fine. He's obviously a dynamic athlete, but I think you definitely needed to bring in someone. And I mean, at this point, it's, I mean, I don't know what Auburn's options are. Like, like you said, I don't know if they had like, just, it was their choice of Casey Thompson or Peyton Thorne type of thing. And they went Peyton Thorne or it's just Casey Thompson wanted to go somewhere. I mean, he's still not committed anywhere, right? No. So, I mean, who knows? So Peyton Thorne, Mm. He was pretty good in 2021, like not great. Obviously, that running game was the reason Kenneth Walker why they were so good that year. But he was a he was he was a he was a good. I, w- I would say he was a good player that year. Mm. Like not great, but he was good. So it's possible. And and he, with Hugh Freeze, like he is a one of the elite offensive minds. I would say in in the SEC right now. Like I I, I wouldn't put it past you know him getting the best out of Peyton Thorne. So mm-hmm. I think uh, this is, if nothing else, it's a healthy competition because Ashford is definitely not the kind of guy that would just be like, okay, he's sold QB1. Like, we need we need some options here. Yeah, I just, it's interesting. I wonder if this is going to be a part of it. Is like this spring, like for quarterbacks who obviously see the writing on the wall in their current spot and Casey Thompson did, Peyton Thorne's a little bit different because he and Keon Coleman both entered the portal in just a really hilarious way because not because they both were on the same page, but they were both trying to get away from each other um, <laughs> potentially. So that's that was a really weird situation that happened just a few weeks ago in East Lansing. Like, it's just weird that Peyton Thorne is now an Auburn Tiger, Matt Green. Like, that was not something we had in our just, <laughs> I mean, just this ever-changing uh, quarterback landscape uh, in college football, but it's just going to be weird that he might just be the day one starter at Auburn of all places. And I just, I have no idea what to think of him. Cause like Robbie Ashford, like you said, struggled last year. He got hit a lot, obviously not a lot of talent. The scheme sucked and Auburn's offense was pretty, pretty brutal to watch week in week out. And Hugh Freeze, very QB friendly offense. What could Hugh do with him? You just, you just feel bad. Cause it's like, what if he had started with Hugh Freeze at Auburn? What that kind of looks like for him and his development. But I am very curious to see how that ultimately unfolds. And I mean, Florida still not involved in any of these guys <laughs> popping the portal. They're just, they're, they're. I guess they're really just going with Graham Mertz and Jack Miller. It seems like that's just they're dead set on it. It's a bold strategy for sure. And Keon Coleman, it looks like he's going to be uh, visiting Ole Miss here mm. tomorrow or maybe that was today. Well, they have an um, opening. <laughs> so we could see a little uh, Peyton Thorne versus, versus Keon Coleman and some SEC West action. That'd be a nice uh, nice little storyline. But, I mean, Peyton Thorne is definitely an upgrade over Robbie Ashford. Like, mm. I mean, Robbie Ashford might have higher potential, you know, upside or whatever. He's a better athlete. But Peyton Thorne's been a good serviceable college football 
quarter starting quarterback in the power five like I would maybe not good but even serviceable like mm. this isn't Grayson Lambert coming in here like it's like oh the guy that was bad at Virginia is gonna come into Georgia and be good like no no he's not so he won a lot of games but um you know it's skewed. He, he had the hell of a game versus South Carolina, though. It still holds the NCAA record. But you look at uh, Michigan's uh, what Auburn's got in the quarterback room. It's like I don't I don't think Peyton Thorne's the worst move by any means. That's fair, Matt Green. Um, let's move quickly to let's play. Is this quarterback a quarterback or is this player a quarterback and a real quarterback at Oklahoma State? Have you looked at this yet? Oh man, I have not looked at this. Oh, this is going to be a fun game then. Is this an uh, is this an indictment on my on my knowledge though? If I don't no, know this? you got to be a real sicko to know this off the top of your head in May, mid May, early May, twenty twenty three. Matt Green, I think this is going to be fun. So you all you have to do for this game, you have to tell me yes or no, current Oklahoma State quarterback, and then if it, you don't think he's a current Oklahoma State quarterback. Do you think he's real? Do you think he's a real quarterback in college football? Or are you just or are you just making names up? Yes. Gotcha. Okay, interesting game. All right, are you ready? Let's do it. Peyton Thompson. <sighs> that sounds real. Okay. Is he I'll an say Oklahoma he's State on Oklahoma Cowboy? State. Yeah. You are correct. He is an go. Oklahoma State Cowboy. And I would encourage you to keep track of these names or the numbers here. Number 2. Alan Bowman. Yeah, definitely. Is he an Oklahoma State Cowboy or is he say, another team? I would say yes, Oklahoma State. Okay. His name the, sounds familiar. Is he the current starter at Oklahoma State coming out of spring ball? Hey, who knows who's the starter at this point? It's open competition. It's Alan Bowman, who has been everywhere. Texas Tech is where he was awesome a couple years ago. Then he was backing up. He was third string with Michigan last year. Like Alan Bowman's you're, been all uh, you're the place. generous with the word awesome. I mean, he had a really, really big year. I mean, it was look at his Texas Tech numbers from like three years ago. Alan Bowman was uh, lights out in Lubbock just a few short years ago. Garrett Rangel. <laughs> Scott, you can't make a name up like that. So I'm definitely saying he plays for Oklahoma State. All right. You are correct. So we're at four or three, excuse me. I only know one more, so I'm hoping it's coming. Zane Flores. I'm going to say you made up that name. Didn't make it up. He's a freshman at Oklahoma State right now as a quarterback. (laughs) Wow. So that's five? That's four. That's four. Five. Gunner Gundy. Gunner Gundy was the one I knew. (laughs) I was like, that's an Oklahoma State quarterback right there. They have five quarterbacks, and the names are preposterous. Like, you got a Gundy in there. You got an Alan Bowman. Like, this is the weirdest quarterback room. So I'm just, like, getting ready for the summer, Matt Green. And because I'm a huge dork, I'm, like, memorizing different depth charts and, like, with all the transfer stuff. So I'm going through, taking notes, and I'm like, that can't be right. Who has five quarterbacks in the portal era in college football? And none of them are good. Like, they have five different quarterbacks, and it's just, like, you don't feel good about anybody. Like, this is... Oof. Oof. You know, Mike, Mike Gundy to me, he seems like like a lower lower ceiling version of Jim Beheim. Mm. It's like 
Because Syracuse won a national championship, played for at least one more while he was there. But he's obviously the coach for like 40 years. Like, how bad? How long has Syracuse just been kind of whatever? Like, since that, that year they were the one seed, right, with, with Tyler Ennis. What was it, like 12 years ago? Like, that was a while back. And they've been kind of a mediocre program for a while. They had that one Final Four run as like a 10 seed or something. Mm. But... They've been kind of mediocre for a while, but it's like he's their guy, and they're never going to turn on him. It's like you're here as long as you want to be here. And I feel like Mike Gundy, I don't know. They don't feel like they're in a very good spot right now, especially like with with Oklahoma leaving. Now it's like the Oklahoma game was like that was the national stage you could guarantee Oklahoma State was going to be on, and like you could play against this huge brand. Now if you're not playing Oklahoma anymore – I don't know. Like they just, they just feel like they're kind of on the decline. And they had some great years, like a lot of top ten, top fifteen finishes, and like made Oklahoma State relevant, but um, on like a national level. But I don't know. It feels like they've they've peaked, and now it's like Mike Gundy. It's just you're here as long as you want to be here. But I don't know. I, I don't like how the spot Oklahoma State's in right now as a program. I would also love to get uh, an Oklahoma State historian to come on the pod and explain to me why they've always been such a limited program in terms of resources. Like they are the, uh, I think they have the worst NIL situation of any Power Five school. I remember reading that a couple months ago, where it's like they're just lagging in those areas, and that's why all these dudes have entered the portal and lost a lot of guys. And like you remember Jimmy Johnson, like he was told decades ago like he had to get out of Oklahoma State where it was like you've reached the the top you can go there you can't win it he goes Miami and wins big I don't understand why Norman Oklahoma is able to just be this <laughs> juggernaut and like be a top 10 program year over year in Oklahoma State where they've had the Barry Sanders of the world they've had first round picks they've had talent in the building seems like a big school you got T Boone Piggins I feel like their enrollment's pretty high. I don't understand why there's such a disparity between Oklahoma State and Oklahoma and why they can't be a perennial power in college college football and college sports as a whole. I don't understand why the... Well, I the, mean, I do understand why they can't be a powerhouse per se, but like why why it's the it's just such a night and day difference between right? Oklahoma. Yeah, I, I, that is an interesting point. I mean... I will say knowing knowing nothing about the geography of of the state of Oklahoma, like I don't, I have no idea what Norman and Oklahoma or you don't even know where Stillwater Oklahoma State is. Have, <laughs> yeah, yeah, still I do know. I definitely know the city. Come on, you were like in Oklahoma. I've been playing NCAA football for too mm-hmm. long, um, but yeah, so I don't, I have no idea like what kind of towns those are. Like, is one of them on a lake? Like, I, you know, I have no idea. So. Uh, uh, Norman could be a mini version of like Knoxville for all I know. And it's like, I would have, I would have no idea. So yeah. I can't, I can't speak to what the towns have to offer, but I, I agree. I think T Boone Pickens though, was kind of like their only one. I, th- I mean, he mm. kind of like provided everything they had. So I think he brought kind of brought him into the 21st century. Cause I mean, before, before Gundy was the coach, I mean, who was the coach before Gundy? Do you know that off the top of your head? I mean, he's like, Oh five, oh six. I think he's been there. Oh, less so. miles, right? Oh yeah, for sure. So, mm-hmm. and they weren't even really good. He got, <laughs> just just lucks into the LSU job, basically. So yeah, I mean they were fine before that, but they were they felt like a real bottom feeder. Like the Oklahoma the Bedlam did not was not a competitive rivalry. I think Oklahoma Oklahoma still kind of owns it, like eight of the last nine or something like that. But mm. 
they're at least playing a lot more competitive games. And Oklahoma State's definitely won some in the last 10, 15 years. I just think it's weird. I'd love to give it an Oklahoma State person, like a deep uh, Oklahoma State knower, to be like, explain to me like I'm five. Like why the gap is so big between you and Oklahoma. Because I don't get it. I, I really don't get it. Um, what else I don't get is Justin Blaylock is now a Georgia Tech yellow jacket, Matt Green. Oh, and before you before you get into that, I will just say one one little just quick Wikipedia mm. fact. Stillwater, Oklahoma has forty eight thousand people, whereas mm. Norman has one hundred twenty eight thousand people. Interesting. It's roughly three times bigger of a mm. city, but obviously very minimal knowledge of that that just tells you how many people and and really nothing else. But not really big. Very college town. Very. Very deserted a little bit. Um, but Blaylock entering the portal. Uh, not a lot of spots. He flashed a little bit. Was a fun prospect for a couple of years. He's a big what if for Georgia. Georgia fans felt pretty highly of him. And then A.D. Mitchell, obviously, uh, out the door to Texas earlier this offseason, Matt Green. But um, this is a two-parter uh, for you. Uh, the first part, Justin Blaylock to Georgia Tech. What is What are the Jackets getting in Blaylock? And... Uh, did you hope to see him back for Georgia for one more go around here and see if he could have cracked the rotation, especially if injuries uh, came out? Did he have a path to playing time at, at in Athens this fall? Um, probably not. I mean, not more than he already had. Like, he's probably the sixth, seventh guy on the depth chart, maybe. You know, like in 2019, as a true freshman, like same year as Pickens, like there was a bunch of injuries that year, and he he really stepped up. So he like. He was a playmaker, kind of returning punts. Like he was a he was a tough kind of like slot receiver. Like not like not definitely not a burner. Mm. Um, obviously, he's I think he had that one long catch against Auburn. Um, his his fre- as a true freshman, mm. um, but uh, he, I mean he was a, he was a fine player. Like he just uh, LS the SEC championship twenty nineteen uh, versus Joe Burrow and LSU he tore his ACL in that game so after like a really like solid freshman year tears his ACL in the SEC championship and then I want to say like the very next season like two week two three weeks before the season started or something tore his tore his ACL or maybe the other ACL maybe the same one again like mo- so many injuries while I was at Georgia he's one of those guys like. That I like. I don't know if you remember when AJ Green was was being recruited. Like AJ Green only visited Georgia. Like he hmm. committed to Georgia. Like it was the one school he visited. He was like fell in love and he, like didn't even like take didn't even talk to like other coaches. It was just like weird how like sold on Georgia he was. I feel like Dominic Blaylock was kind of one of those guys. So like from hmm. that perspective as a fan, like as a sophomore, I think he committed as like a big time five star. And I think he wasn't quite as highly rated like by the time the senior year rolled around. But he was still – he was a good player, just kind of, you know, a career just kind of riddled with injuries. Had a big-time third-down catch at some point in that Ohio State game that I remember being kind of a clutch at the time. So he's had some plays here and there. But, yeah, I mean, pretty much the, after the 2019 season, it's either been injuries or just being kind of buried on a pretty solid Georgia receiver depth chart. Because I think Georgia's, Georgia's like five, six deep with just like good receivers, I think. And that's kind of what they've been – that's kind of what they were a, a year ago too. Like they they're, they don't really have that star, but just a lot of good – a lot of good receivers. It's also going to be interesting to see who starts for Tech at a receiver. They have a lot of transfers. They get Abdul Janae, Chase Lane, Christian Leary, um, 
obviously you get DJ Moore back, you get uh, Malik Rutherford, but I'm curious to see who uh, who is there. And it looks like Haynes King's not going to be starting. It looks like Zach Pyron uh, is going to be QB one out of out of spring, which is fascinating. Yeah, that'll be interesting. I mean, I would assume a guy like like a place like Georgia Tech, like Blaylock's got to come in and be probably one of their best options mm. at, at the very least. So yeah, I, I, at this point, like because you were talking about like Tennessee would never no players transferring from Tennessee to Vanderbilt. No, um, that's that is what this feels like though. Like if a player transfers from Tennessee to Vanderbilt, do you like do you hate that guy? Like. Like, we don't know any of these people, so we don't want to, like, hate them personally. But as a Georgia fan, like, you hate Trey Matthews, right? Mm. Georgia, played at Georgia as a freshman, goes to Auburn, and it's like, forget this guy, you know? So it's like, Jermaine Burton goes to Alabama, basically our biggest kind of rival on the national stage right now. It's it's like, you're as a fan, you're able to kind of like, oh, no, he's the he's the enemy now, like, whatever, Especially after winning the national title. That was just weird. Burton doing it after winning the national title is just strange. It definitely is. And, and, I mean, other than play with Bryce Young, you can't necessarily hit on that decision. But with uh, with Dominic Blaylock, it's kind of like, oh, you know, go down to Georgia Southern. Like, yeah, get some some reps, man. Maybe you you have a good season and you can get to the league or something. You're not even – like where Georgia and Georgia Tech are as programs right now. It's like – Did you say Georgia Southern, by the way? Was that a a little slip there referred to? No, I mean I'm I'm saying because it feels like the equivalent of just Uh, like if a guy goes down to Southern, you're like, you don't don't dislike him. You're like, yeah, go get – you aren't getting playing time here. Go get some reps there. Like that's how Georgia Tech feels right now. It's not not transferring to Auburn. It's not transferring. To, to even a South Carolina, like a, a rival in the East, that's like we're clearly better than. Like Georgia Tech is just kind of like, yeah, that's that, that's not really doing anything. I hope you have a good season, and we hope you don't play well uh, on the the Saturday after Thanksgiving. Yeah, it's like one of those you don't hate them. You just are like you. It does annoy you more as a fan. Where it, that would bother me if like someone w- went to Vandy and was like a, a big time player. It wouldn't even be Vandy. Probably the equivalent for Tennessee would be like, that would actually draw some ire. Cause Henry Toa Toa got, was hated by Tennessee fans for many oh, years. See, that's a good example. Cause I mean, he's part of the enemy at that yeah. point. Like, so like J I think JJ green also a few years ago went from, from Georgia, Georgia tech because that, because you know what that transition is like the mm. Tennessee to Vanderbilt tr- to transition like you're not going there because you're like, oh, I need more playing. I'm going to show them like I can be the guy or something. I mean, maybe as a person, you do have that kind of chip on your shoulder, of course. But like you're on a different play, like you're different, different caliber of player. Like mm. and you've kind of recognized that, OK, I need to go to like a lower a lower caliber school so I can actually get some playing time. Like yeah. it's not it's not like a going to the enemy, like Brenton Cox going to Florida or something like that. Yeah um well there you go uh and then you have uh one quick thing uh some rat poison for kirby because kirby's done and brit hubs on volquest Uh-oh. made a really good point about this uh this week on the pod that uh like kirby deserves credit for being able to instill um this absolute lie to these georgia players where nolan smith the whole year can be like no one believed in us they thought we were going seven and five and like the whole team really had that idea of like they took things per like not like it's so hard to instill the most talented team that's coming off a national championship be like 
No one believes that y'all can go back to back. No one believes that y'all are going to be just as good as you were a year ago. They don't even see you going to the SEC title game this year. They don't even see you beating Florida. They don't see you beating Tennessee, whatever. Um, I would say the biggest advantage, not to cut off, cut you off in the middle, I would say the biggest advantage this past team had was they lost so much from the defense. So it was so much new blood. And then like the offense kind of being told, well, the defense is the only reason y'all won a national championship. So it's like you got the new unproven defensive players like coming in with a chip. The offensive, returning offensive players already having a chip. It's like the motivation was already there. And, I, and Kirby, I mean, he learned from Saban. I think this is what Saban is the GOAT. This is why he's the GOAT. Like, I've always said, if I have one game, I need a coach to win one game, I'm taking Urban Meyer. Like, Urban Meyer, I think, is that elite of a coach for one game. But Nick Saban, it's the week in, week out, like, we are going to play to our standard every single game, like, there are no hiccups. Like the, the games Alabama loses are when the Ole Miss, when Chad Kelly throws off his back foot into double coverage and it bounces off the dude's helmet and he and he uh, and he returns it and he takes it all the way like fifty yards for a touchdown. The kick six. It's like the Stephen Garcia South Carolina game. It's like the Hendon Hooker game last year. It's like a perfect storm of like a team needed every single thing to go right for them to finally beat Alabama. It's like Ohio State, Urban Meyer would just have those games or just like, wait, Iowa? What, Purdue? What what happened? So I feel like that's that's the difference. And I feel like from when with Nick Saban, it was always like they're not the defending national champions. No one's taking that national championship from the 2021 team. You're a new team. You haven't accomplished anything. You have to go win it too, you know? So I feel like that was just that whole messaging, I feel like that's what—that's the biggest thing that Kirby got from Saban. Well, I don't know if you saw uh, what a certain analyst said about Texas and the talented roster. Did you see this, Matt Green? What's that? So I want to pull up the exact uh, quote here. Um, but Texas um, being the most talented roster in college football this year came up. And... Uh, I want to see Urban Meyer. Speaking of Urban Meyer, he mm. said, "Quote: They had the Horns have the best roster in college football." And my head immediately went to, "You've got to be kidding me! Come on, Urban, don't throw that out there because that is the kind of stuff that Kirby is smacking on that board from now up until this fall is just, oh, we don't even have the best." Uh, roster in college football anymore it's actually texas texas is the one with the best roster in college football and like i don't even really disagree that strongly like when you go through the texas roster like they really are loaded at just about every spot like that makes when they go eight and four this year hurt that much more when you're like this roster is unbelievably talented with blue chippers everywhere and like the qb room of quinn and arch is stupid like, that is a stupidly talented, and uh, Malik Murphy. Like, that is, that's pretty, that's a, a pretty amazing trio. I understand that Brock and company is solid, but, like, upside-wise, I would say Texas quarterback room is higher upside than... Yeah, but, I mean, in terms of what that means for, like, in terms of projecting success, like, a loaded quarterback room, that's 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 sometimes the kiss of death. You know, mm. you you choose the wrong one. Like, who knows what it does to the program? Like that whole thing. Like, then you end up two guys end up transferring. Like that's what happens at a lot of schools. Like, there's not a lot of scenarios of 
of Georgia, like what's happening at Georgia, where Carson Beck waits three three years, and then Brock Vandegrift waits two years, and then Gunnar Stockton's waiting multiple years. Like usually, guys want to play, especially if they think they're really good players. And I mean, you got two five stars and. Um, Malik, I'm blanking on his name right Malik now. Malik Murphy. Malik Murphy. You got three five stars. Three five stars just in the quarterback room? Yeah. Arch, was Murphy a five Quinn, star? and Murphy. I'm pretty sure Murphy was too. If oh, okay. I am pretty certain. But Malik I mean, you Murphy have two was. like guys that were like the the number one quarterback in the country. Well, I guess there's there's debate. I guess where Arch was by the end of it, but mm. he's up there, like top five player in the country, like super highly touted guys. So Texas obviously is going to have a loaded roster, but. That's just one of those things. It, it does feel like, okay, now, I mean, it's yeah, not like the pressure. Yeah, he was a five-star, too. I'm looking at it. He was a five-star, too. Yeah, okay. all three were. It's not like the pressure isn't already on Texas every single year to win or or it's hot seat talk. But um, I feel like this just cranks it up even more. Like, Urban Meyer knows what he's talking about. He, he sees, he watches Big Noon, or he's on the, the Big Noon kickoff. Like, he watches our games. Uh, and, and he's saying we got the best team in college. Can football, Urban coach so. Texas this year? How about that? Let Urban just do a one year at Texas to see, can he win a title with this Texas team? The most talented team in college football. Just give Urban the, the team this year. Yeah, I don't, I don't think they're going to do that. But if you gave, serious question, if you gave Texas Urban for this year with this roster, Matt Green, their receiver Hard to ramp. say. Uh, he always had a dual threat as the quarterback, though. Like, mm. Ewers isn't necessarily that guy. Like, I me, mean, maybe he could he could do something, but this doesn't feel like an urban team. I don't see Percy Harvin and Chris Rainey and, and Jeff I mean, Dimps. Xavier Worthy. They have a Xavier Worthy. Isaiah Nair, who missed all of last year, who Tennessee really wanted the Wyoming transfer, a speedster. He tore his ACL before the season started. Really good player. Was maybe the most highly sought after wide receiver in the portal last year. He's healthy. He's not even starting. You look at that. It's A.D. Mitchell, Xavier Worthy, who's a dude, and Jordan Whittington, also a dude. They are loaded. There is no reason Quinn Ewer should not be a Heisman finalist and that this offense doesn't just put up bonker stats. Like, I mean, I cannot wait for Bama, Texas, because Texas goes to Bama this time. Whoo, the talent's there. The offensive firepower's there. This is a big year for Texas. It's a big year. And I don't know if it's good that they have this kind of, I don't know if they want that kind of hype of like everyone talking all summer, like they actually have the best, they've assembled the best roster in college football. That's a lot of pressure. That's that's the problem with having to play Alabama in the regular season. It's like those teams, it's like sometimes they peak too early, like, and and they, they, they're not ready for, after they beat Bama, it's like Tennessee saw it last year, right? You Mm. beat Bama. It's like, that felt like the climax of the season. It's like, wait, we got to play like another month, month or so of games. Like, you want to beat Bama in the season finale so that that's the only time you have to – you don't have to play them again or something. Like, Auburn figured it out. Like, just – all you have to do is just win the very last second of the game and just spoil their undefeated season, and then they're out of it. So, um, it, it's tough. When you got in week three, like, I, the, the hype that – I mean, Texas is just one of those teams, right? Texas and probably Miami. Every time they win, it's like, oh. Texas is back. Miami mm-hmm. is back. Like Bama is back. They were one of those. I remember Brody Crowell being on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Bama is back. It's like they fired Mike Shula the next season. It's like they were good that year, but uh, I don't know. They're just those certain brands that that just have that that level of pressure, and Texas is one of them. So 
if they go into Bryant Denny and win week two, oh my God, the Texas back talk. This is the year for Texas. It's just going to be, they're going to be top five. They might even be number one if they beat Alabama in Tuscaloosa. So like the, that, that feels like way too early to have that much hype with someone that's like in it, as inexperienced as Texas. You know what I'm saying? Like, can they handle being ranked top three from September 15th till the rest of the season? You know, we'll see. They are super talented this year. That is true. And it's going to be fascinating to, uh, to see what happens here. So we'll, man, Texas is going to be fun. Uh, speaking of fun, SEC over unders uh, came out uh, courtesy of DraftKings, Matt Green. There were some really interesting uh, numbers thrown out here. And we're not going to go one by one. We're going to bounce around here a little bit. But I want, I think some of my stuff might surprise you. And I think you might surprise me with some of your answers here. But I want to start with what is the one you agree with most when you saw this number? And they were for you. They're all halves, which is a big pet peeve of yours. Here we go. They're all halves. What jumped out to you the most that you agreed with where you saw that and you're like, that's exactly where it should be? Um, well, I think Georgia for sure. Mm. Just because of the schedule, it's like, is this team going to go undefeated or are they going to lose one game? It feels like the only options. It doesn't feel like – it feels like you'd have to hunt for two losses on this schedule. Not, for one, how good Georgia should be again in 2023, but the schedule is just so weak. Um, if you were going to make the case for Georgia not to – like what are – I guess it's Tennessee – is number one on that list. I think it's an intangible case. I think that's the mm. only thing. It's just like they're not going to go undefeated again. Like that's like that's the logic. It's like they're going to go undefeated for a third straight regular season. They absolutely could, like, though. But they definitely could, and it's just because being undefeated doesn't mean that much. Like yeah. the schedule. Like yeah, Cincinnati went undefeated. Like okay, half the SEC West could have gone undefeated with with Cincinnati's schedule that year. You know, so it's like. Cincinnati was a good team, but schedule is is huge. So obviously, I think we don't know. We don't. We can never predict perfectly college football. So there's going to be a, a team or two, like you saw Arkansas kind of break through and be like a big time nationally ranked game for Georgia in 2021. Like Tennessee, no one saw that being the number one team in the country coming to Athens when you were looking in the preseason magazines last year. So there's going to be someone that emerges. Well, hold on. That, I did say 10 and two before the year. I did but call. Did you, did you I thought they were going to be number one coming into Athens? With the schedule, did I, I did I say that they would split Georgia and you, Alabama? You did and literally say South Carolina. Would, yeah, you did. That, that's that's fair. Um, but so you no, know, maybe it's Florida, maybe it's Auburn that kind of looks better. Maybe it's Ole Miss that looks better. So it's probably uh, going to be slightly. You're sk- Did you say Auburn? I said maybe Auburn, Florida. It's Auburn. Ole Miss. It's yeah, not no. Florida. It's Auburn because that's on the road. Like you look at this, and even yeah. like the maybe flip flops of South Carolina or Van- or Kentucky's better. Guess what? You get them both at home. You look at the schedule, and I'm just like, you even get Ole Miss at home. I mean, it's just Mizzou, that house of horrors on the road. Guess what? You get them at home this year. It's just, like you said, you've really got to squint really, really hard to see two losses on this regular season schedule. Like, that's the easiest luck. I agree with you. Like, there's just, even if you think Georgia loses one regular season game, and if you told me that if I had to put over 50% odds of Georgia dropping one of the two between Tennessee on the road and Auburn on the road next year, I would take that. I would take that over 50% that they drop one of them. I don't think they yeah, dropped both. I think both. Tennessee is definitely the game any anyone would choose. If I Georgia's would pick Auburn, actually. One. Hugh Freeze doing that right out of the gate, like 
it's just such an Auburn thing to do because Auburn does this and it's going to be an early one. Maybe they take them for granted a little bit at Auburn's still got a lot of talent there. They're still in right around that blue chip ratio. Hugh Freeze is going to have that offense humming. I just, but I, I also feel like it's a Josh Heupel thing. Maybe, maybe mm. this is the year it's, they're seven and three playing Georgia, and then they break through and win, like something like that. You know, they're just a little unpredictable. It's, it's I don't a, even know who's going to be quarterback at that point. Like, it's really <laughs> hard for me to say because, like, you're going to be surprised at my Tennessee pick here. Like, I for for what I have uh, with this because I think it's. I mean, let's just get into that because I think Georgia, both of the, that's what I was going to say. I think both of those lines are on point with Alabama at ten and a half and Tennessee at nine and a half. But what were you going to say about Tennessee? Which way do you think I would go right now on May 9th? Uh, with that nine and a half line, Matt Green. It'd be hard to go over for me. I would. Are you going under? I'm going under. Mm, being realistic over here. I I'm a realistic fan. Like I I said ten to and I what have I said all off season where I'm like, I think the defense is better. There's a lot more talent on that side of the ball, but like, left tackle is probably gonna be John Campbell. Right tackle, they don't have that settled. It's probably going to be Gerald Mincy, who played mostly on the left side all last year. Maybe J.J. Crawford. Like, if the tackles suck, and Joe Milton, who can't move around at any... Like, he lost, like, 10 pounds this spring, but, like, the dude's still a statue. He still prefers to sit in the pocket and wait for guys to get downfield so he can unleash 70-yard bombs um, when he can because he's got the strongest arm in college football, and it's not particularly close. But, like, Hinden Hooker did not have the strongest arm. It doesn't matter. He had amazing touch. Like, the, the, the that kind of strength, it just, it's so silly. It doesn't matter. Like, all these guys. Hey, if you're throwing to unguarded wide receivers, I mean, how, how great does your arm strength need to be? No, but you need touch. You need to be able to have precision. You need to make quick, good decisions. And with Milton, we've seen bad decision after bad decision where it's like, the dude, I can't shake that he ran out of bounds on fourth down against Ole Miss. Like, he. He didn't know what the clock like. It just it's all the stuff with you had a month to prepare for Clemson. Like I just I'm not taking too much out of that. And then you destroyed Vanderbilt on the road. It was Vandy. Like that's that's not what it's going to tell me whether or not Joe Milton made the leap. I just Hendon Hooker's not around anymore. Clemson is it's a great sign though. Like you can, you don't know how much you can take from those bowl games these yeah. days with just different players, different distractions, coaches. Who knows. Uh, with all the inner, all the the transitions and everything, but it's still a good sign, and he played well versus a good Power Five football team. Well, here's my thing: I think Joe Milton does not make it through the whole season. So if it's going to be he's gotten banged up, it might be injury, might get benched. It's one of the two. I don't think Joe Milton makes it through the whole year without Nico taking over at some point. Nico, I my gut tells me he takes over at some point, and at that point, you're probably not looking at a nine or a ten win season, like. Nine and a half is just too high. I don't see double-digit wins in the regular season for this Tennessee team. I would be very, very surprised if they hit that over. I would actually, I wouldn't do it because they're my team and I'm a lum, but I would pound <laughs> the under right now of like, I don't see it. That's they're going to Florida. Bet, man, you know? I just you'll don't see it. You'll be happy if they, if they win more, but you'll get oh, yeah. you'll make money if they, if they lose. That's true, uh, but I won't do it. Um, at Florida, guess what they don't do? Win at Florida. Like, it's just something that Tennessee really, really struggles with. They've done it multiple times with the better team. Florida looks awful. We'll get into theirs here. You go to Kentucky. I don't think they'll have any problem there. They always destroy Mizzou. They've scored, like, a gazillion points up to this point. You got to go to Alabama this time. Georgia's always going to be Georgia. A&M at home will be a big indicator. 
South Carolina is that close at home. Like, I don't know, just this just feels like an eight and four type year to me. And I don't think that's a disaster for Tennessee if they take that step back. But I wouldn't be surprised if there's some awkwardness. Can you on tell offense. me can you tell me the quarterback uh the last time Tennessee beat Florida in Gainesville? Bonus points if you can give me uh, the two quarterbacks that played for Florida in this game as well. It wasn't Dobbs. Um, no. Because Dobbs should have done it once. Um, it wasn't Bray. How much time How much time am I giving you? Clock's was ticking. it Eric Ainge? That is incorrect. Close, though. Um, was it Casey Clawson? Casey Clawson. Ha- I was like, was it really Casey Clawson? Oh my god! For bonus points, can you can you give me the two Florida players? Uh, one one eventually transferred, and um, one the other was a true freshman. Chris Leak was he the true freshman? That is correct. Um, and the other one transferred. Uh oh. Um, I know who you're gonna say. Not Brock Berlin. It's no, not Brock Berlin. Not Rex Grossman. Not Sexy Rexy. Um. Ended up at Furman. Oh, um, I, I can like see him. <sighs> it is uh, Ingle Martin. Ingle Martin. So yeah, he. Um, who knows? That may have been the day that Chris Leak became the full time starter because I know he took over at some point, like early, early mid mid freshman year and was a starter, and then and then won a national championship. You gotta give him credit for that, but. Uh, like Tim Tebow was the most impactful backup backup quarterback in uh, in NCAA history. Mm. Well, there you go. Um, yeah. So, like I said, I'll believe when I see it that they go down and win in Gainesville, even against a terrible, terrible Florida team. Matt Green. I think that stands out to us, right? Five and a half, second worst win total odds in the SEC next year. Matt Green. That kind of just blew me away to see it. Like I'm betting on it, but to see it. And to see them right there with Vanderbilt with three and a half, that's why I don't know if I'm. Be- I don't know if I'm betting on it. I'm, are you saying under at least? You're. I think I'm saying under. I think it's five and seven. I could see easily five and seven. I don't know. I just. I don't see Florida going five and seven. Like, because last year, obviously, what, what were they six and six last year? Yes, and I think they're worse. It's not like Anthony Richardson was good though. You know what I mean? Like, they lost the fourth pick in the draft, but it's like, did he make their team better? Like, I really don't know. Maybe he did. Maybe they were a three-win team, and Anthony Richardson made him a six-win team. But All right, well, like, here's the thing. You saw, like, the, the, you saw like, the Kentucky game where he basically like, gave the game away. Like, one of the worst interceptions I've ever seen. So, like, I don't know. I'm not high on Graham Mertz by any means, but, like, I don't know. Anthony Richardson, it's it's not going to be, like, that hard to replace that production or even improve that production. Graham Mertz is just going to be – Graham Mertz is not a good quarterback. And they had a pretty good running game last year, too. Mm. So there are some young running backs that are pretty good. Here's their schedule, Matt Green. At Utah, like, count these losses for me. Just by – can you count these real quick? Yeah. All right, Utah. That's one. Kentucky. Two. That's on the road. At South Carolina. That's three. You're counting that as an automatic loss? Yeah. Okay. Georgia, neutral site. That's four. At LSU. That's five. Florida State at home. 
That's six. So then you have the toss-ups at Mizzou, Tennessee at home, and Arkansas at home to prevent you from going five and seven or so worse. So I'm interested. I'm. I wouldn't just say at South Carolina. I wouldn't count that as one of their automatic losses. I would count going honestly Tennessee. Other than the fact that we just said they haven't won since 2003, like 20 years. So I guess that's the only thing that makes it a toss-up game, and we can't necessarily ignore going to the swamp. Um, while their record is still good too, you know, it's like maybe mm. they haven't given up on the season. The place will still be loud at that point in the, in the season. But uh, yeah, that's a that's a lot of toss up games. I think uh, there's probably only about three guaranteed wins on that schedule. Obviously, and two out of conference, potentially two out of conference losses this year. Yeah, I I just think they're going to be really bad. But I just does he make it? Does Billy Napier get, get a year three if they go four and eight? five and seven is that still guaranteed i mean they definitely sh- they definitely shouldn't fire him I f- just I don't, it's got to be pretty bad like i mean there's 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 also like there's what context. if he goes over against georgia tennessee kentucky and south carolina what if he goes over four against the big, big i mean four? but it depends on what you do in the other games i mean because mm. if you're eight and four and lose those four it's like that's that's a pretty damn good well, okay season, you know? they're not and doing you, that and then beating the lsu also... and florida state and utah no, for sure. So, I mean, that's the, the big – I mean, it's the rivals, first of all. Like, yeah. that's, that's Those are the ones that just kind of emotionally make the decisions in the fan base, you know. It's like it's getting bar- embarrassed in the cocktail party like Mark Rick did. It's like, okay, we got we, we to gotta get rid of this guy. Um, so, obviously, like you lose to Georgia, LSU, Florida State, Tennessee or something. Like that's big. Mm. But, I mean, it's a tough schedule. So, Florida – he just did not inherit the best program. And so I, I don't think he's going to be penalized for them, like not being that good in year two. So, I mean, it's also like, I was going to say like context matters. Like if they're losing 41 to 10 and like getting shut out or something like things like that, because Florida hype, Florida has pride in that not getting shut out <laughs> uh, streak. They got going since like the eighties. Mm. Um, Remember they kicked the field goal against Oregon state late. They scored right at the end against Georgia, I think, mm. 2017 or something to, to not get shut out. But um, so I don't know. So it's it's kind of like if you're fighting, you know, losing close games, like that's a tough schedule. So if they lose six, seven games, I mean, it's it's not going to be that surprising. Like they could – I would not be surprised. I mean, if we look up at the end of the year and they have five top 15 opponents on their schedule, like – it's a big time schedule so i there, there's definitely some some context um for sure i would say my lock though matt green over on lsu nine and a half yeah i would agree with that i was that's low it makes sense though because I, I don't think you could have put it at ten and a half why because they because ten and two feels like a very likely scenario like Obviously, we're we feel like they're better than Alabama right now, but like let's not let's not get too ahead of ourselves. Like the last game they played at A and M, like kind of just just kind of fell apart at the end of the last season. Obviously, the Georgia game blown out. No, weren't really expected. They probably competed a little better than expected, honestly, in that game. And then I can't even remember the bowl game. Who'd they play in the bowl? Was it like? I feel like it was a big brand name, but I, I'll try to pull that up. But I was going to say Oklahoma State or Notre Dame, but I think they played each other. Who did LSU play in their bowl game? But I don't know. It's they're not they're not a guarantee. Just like 
pencil him in like, oh, Bama's washed. LSU's taking over the SEC West. Like, it's it's definitely not that simple. And the SEC West, there's a lot of landmines on that schedule. Like, no. Just... Here's the thing, Matt Green. You look at their schedule. Here's, here's the thing. LSU is going to be favored in every single game on their schedule in 2023. They are going uh, to be LSU fav- beat Purdue sixty three to seven in the uh, in the Citrus Bowl. Like at the Florida State neutral site, they'll be favored in that one. That's a toss up, but I still think LSU wins that one. I think they lose back to back to Florida State there. Um, at Ole Miss, maybe feisty, but I think they should win there. Arkansas at home, they should win there. Um, just Auburn just at home, right over Stark Vegas over they're here. They're not at Mississippi a, State. Yeah, they're not. And Mississippi Vegas. State, man, they sneak up on people. They never. They're an under they, for me. They basically, not to get into Mississippi State just yet, but like they're just they're one of those teams well, that's underestimated cut, yeah. every yeah. single year. So it's like they're gonna win some games. I don't know if it's the LSU game, but they're gonna, especially at home, like they're gonna get somebody. They always do. They do. I just don't think it's LSU. I just I would pound the over there. I would be very surprised if LSU does not win at minimum ten regular season games next year. I my national I'm gonna, I'm ready to unveil my national title pick for next year, Mac. Vegas Vegas is pretty high on Florida State though, right? Yeah. Like opening with Florida State is not basically on the road in Orlando. I would imagine it's probably a better yeah. Florida State crowd. But I mean, honestly, it might be 50-50. LSU travels well. I think for sure. Be, yeah. Um. So, because it would be terrible to play that game in uh, in Tallahassee in Dover <laughs> Stadium, you know. Let's play in Camping World Stadium. Um, but, so that's not an easy way to open. So, you, so many of these SEC teams, it's like roughly four guaranteed wins at a conference. You know what I mean? Like, there's there's the occasional neutral side. Like, there's there's more this year probably than most years, I would say. Uh, with Like, Alabama and, and Florida, obviously, and LSU. But... Most SEC teams have a lot of built-in wins at a conference. And this LSU schedule, I mean, with Florida State as one of those games, like that makes it a little more tough. I just – my gut tells me that LSU – it's – my preseason title pick is LSU-Ohio State in the national title game. Oh, man. Just yeah. putting it out there. Yeah. I think that's we'll, where we'll it goes. see. I won't hold you to that. We'll uh, we'll come. It'll, it'll come around in August. We'll make our official picks at some point. But um, I mean, I think LSU is going to be really good this year for sure. So we also nine just and a half. Like, I'm counting nine and a half. Nine and a half seems easy for sure. I would think ten and a half might be a more interesting line because you're talking about them being a a national champion right now. Like ten ten or is the ten or eleven team seems like probably where this. Uh, 10 or 11 win team probably where this line should be can i also just say like we don't have to spend more than 30 seconds on this but david pollock saying that carson beck's going to be better than stetson bennett and just be, have a better season next year than stetson bennett and be a heisman finalist none of that's happening Georgia's not going to be in any important games outside of the tennessee game like it's not happening and stetson bennett maybe had one of the best individual quarterback seasons of any georgia quarterback ever last year Moving on from Monk and moving on from, like, it's not happening. I think Carson Beck's going to be good, but, like, he's not going to be a Heisman finalist. Go ahead and cancel that out. Like, no chance of that. And also, he's not having a better season than what Stetson did last year. Stetson, if you go through his numbers last year and what George is off, like, it's just, I, I don't, 
I don't think they got Well, in back. the biggest games, Stetson is obviously at his best. Like, people talked about those numbers constantly. And he was a great narrative guy. Like, you need a narrative for the Heisman. For sure. But also, the, Oklahoma, the Ohio State and the TCU game aren't on that Heisman resume either. So, yeah. as his Heisman resume, it's like... It was a it was a big narrative thing. Like it was Georgia getting a guy in. It was the he was the quarterback on the best team. He was a really good player and, and like a dynamic player. Like I feel like the way he's the Tennessee about game is, got launched his Heisman candidacy because remember Hendon Hooker was well, the Oregon lo- game. I think definitely put it on, like early on. But I think the but it Tennessee kind of game away. really pushed him. Like the the doing the phone call stuff and just the, how well he played in that game. I think that made well. It and let's be honest, statement. it was. It was like process of elimination, kind of at, at yeah. one point. It was like there's a lot of just Hinton Hooker getting hurt, Blake Corum getting hurt, like Caleb Williams. Obviously, got they got blown out, but he still won the award. Like there was a lot of guys that I don't know. Just Bryce Young didn't have his Heisman moments or anything. Like no one thinks Stetson Bennett is better than Bryce Young. Like I would you would you say Stetson Bennett was better in 2022 than Bryce Young was? No, like no. Probably not. So that's that's the only thing. Like as good as Stetson Bennett was, like he 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 was a really good player. But I I can't really disagree that strongly. I think the Monken thing is probably your best point. But if you look at the position, like Carson Beck, I think he's just a more traditional like quarterback. That's that's got a, like a, a stronger, more NFL type prototype arm. That if things are on schedule, which if, if George got the best offensive line in the country and best tight end room and deep wide receiver group, deep running back group, like they're going to put the quarterback in a position to succeed. And he might not need to do the things that Stetson had to do with kind of like things break down and he makes some plays with his legs. Like, I don't think it's outlandish to say Carson Beck could be better than, than what Stetson Bennett was. Other, but I do agree with you on the Heisman thing because Stetson, I think, I honestly think would have won the Heisman had Georgia padded his stats a little more. Like mm. if they actually took, I mean, you just look at his raw stats just in general. Like I talked about, you know, back at the time how he just kind of had a unlucky streak with like 20, 30 yard passes. Guy gets tackled down at the two, you know, down at the one, a lot of those kind of big plays. I think McIntosh had like a 90 yard catch or something against Georgia tech where he got tackled at the one. So it was like, a lot of that kind of stuff seemed to happen, but you also just, if Georgia was trying to like get him three or four more touchdowns, like over the course of the year, like he could have had like a 30 touchdown type season. And the narrative was just so strong. Number one quarter, like there's a chance he could have won the damn award, but his stats were not where they should have been. And I think that's what it's going to be for Carson Beck too. Like not only like, because we're probably going to be blowing teams out, but also like, Maybe you're keeping an eye on that on that quarterback room. Like, let's get Brock Vandergriff some early third quarter reps because we're up four touchdowns right now. And it might be a little early to bench the the starters, but we want everybody to get some playing time. Like, you see, it, it doesn't seem like Georgia. Like, like Brock Bowers seems like the best Heisman candidate, but even him on Georgia, like, it doesn't feel like Georgia really just gives their their best player enough enough touches, enough stats to like really to consistently get in the in like the Heisman conversation. So like Bowers will have that like preseason talk like, oh, you know, tight end, maybe he could be the first or whatever. I assume no tight ends ever been a finalist, right? I don't I don't remember one, but I think Bowers is actually that level of like elite player, but 
Was Kyle Pitts a finalist? No, because it came no, down to Trask. No, because Trask was. Pitts yeah. missed a couple games. I was, I was in the Kyle Pitts Heisman finalist camp for sure. Yeah. But I, I don't know. So Beckett just has the advantage of being the quarterback on what could definitely be the number one team. But how many of those games is he going to put up actual Heisman stats? Or are they just going to be running the ball the last for the third and fourth quarter? Yeah, and I think you're going to see a lot of that. Uh, next year. But don't don't uh, don't say it's because of Monken though, because Bobo could off. come in and this Georgia offense could be just as good. Do you expect that though? I mean, do I expect Georgia's offense to average like forty points a game? Like, yeah, honestly. Why do you would think you it's not? gonna look just as seamless? Do you think it's gonna look just as innovative, just as fun? But did you think Georgia's offense was seamless last year? Yeah. Like you had the sixteen to six game against Kentucky. Like you had the the twenty three twenty one or whatever it was against against Missouri. Like, are you laying the groundwork to just be like, actually, Mike Bobo, an upgrade <laughs> over Todd Monk? And is well, that what I we're mean, getting you, here? If you look at look, what, cancel out I, Colorado sure. State, cancel out South Carolina, cancel out Auburn, and let's go back to 2013, and Mike Bobo was cooking with something there. Hey, man, 2014, Bobo's team averaged more points per game than Georgia did last year in 2022 in this like, environment. Like, 10 people, years matters. But people are scoring way more points now than they were 10 years ago, is what I'm saying. You know wasn't and, scoring and, points two years ago? Mike Bobo and the Auburn Tigers. Because it's the Auburn Tigers. He's, we keep he's, saying that. The Colorado he's playing, State Rams. He's playing with the, the top. South Carolina Gamecocks. You're making my point for me. He's playing with the Georgia Bulldogs talent right now. It's it's a Ferrari versus a, a Volkswagen Beetle. Wow, man. it's not even close. So yeah, noted scrub program to South Carolina Gamecocks and Auburn Tigers. I mean. Right, Compared to what George is, yes, they are a scrub. No, program. you could that. The, the years that Mike Bobo was at Auburn, it's a dumpster fire. Like hold South on, Carolina's- hold on. Josh Heupel went into a dumpster fire right away at Tennessee. Thirty players in the portal had nothing but at quarterback. I would Turned say, it in. You got to turn chicken if, blank into. Chicken but if we're salad. talking about Jim Chaney as an OC, are we going to cite his Jeremy Pruitt years? Yeah. Like, no, like that's yes. not that's not the most relevant sample him. of the hold guy's on, no. career. That was the last thing we saw. That was terrible. Yeah, he was exactly. awful. And he was at a lot of other places with Drew Brees, with Jake Fromm, with all kinds of Eric Ainge the first time around Tennessee. Like, Is he calling any offenses of right now? Is he calling any more offenses? Or anyone bringing the but Jim But I'm saying Chaney? you're not going to judge his career based on the worst head coach he, he, he coached under. That's all I'm saying. Like Mike Bobo under Brian Harson and Will Muschamp, like those were not good programs. They didn't have good Ooh. players. I disagree. Will Muschamp was recruiting really well. There were good players at South Carolina. On the defense, there were some good players. Auburn South Carolina had good players. Did they? Yeah, it was the Gus Malzahn players. It wasn't even Brian Harson's guys. Those who, were Gus's guys. Who were those good players that came out of Auburn on, on those? Well, now I got to go back. But Matt Green, don't do this. Bo Nix. Bo Nix immediately goes to Oregon. It's great. Hey, he's he couldn't do anything the, on a he's boat. He's playing the Pac-12 against soft competition. You're making excuses. No, I think Bo Nix, that's the yeah. best point. I think is Bo Nix... He was, he was also playing a different system like every year, but Bo Nix definitely was was not good under Bobo, but he was he was also underwhelming in other under other guys at Auburn too. So he seemed to figure it out last year at at, uh, at Oregon. But no, I'll I'll give you that point for sure. But I, I just don't want think... Georgia fans to admit that there's a possibility Bobo sucks this year. 
just say that there is a possibility that there's a huge downgrade from I mean, Monk I into don't Bobo. think there's a possibility that anything about Georgia's team sucks, though. I mean, that's that's the thing. There's mm. just a minimum floor of just like where Georgia's at right now. So, like, I remember hearing like Chris Marler uh, on one of those SEC podcasts talking about um, just really hedging his bet with the Bobo stuff because it's like. It's a terrible OC hire, but Georgia's so good that it doesn't matter, and they'll be great mm. with him. And it's like, well, if they're really good and scoring points with him, then it wasn't a terrible hire. So, like, you can say, like, oh, they could have gone out and got a sexier name. They could have gotten the best name in the business or whatever. But if the offense is working and Georgia continues to win at the same level as they were under Monken, then it's a success. So I don't think it's... I don't think it's like outlandish to think Georgia could still have. I mean, they didn't have the number one offense in college football last year. You know what I mean? They had a top, a top five, top it's... ten offense, like big time offense for sure. Like, look at look at the look at the cupboard right now. Like, I mean, it's going to be hard almost for that team to not have a top five, top ten offense, other than if statistically they're just up thirty one ten on teams in the fourth quarter and they're just kind of running the ball out because we've seen Georgia do a lot of that type of stuff and and maybe they're not actually putting up the points like putting up the stats but they are just like efficiently just because it kind of like that Tennessee game last year like the offense score what is it 27 is that the final score 27 13 yeah and so it's like it felt like when the game was was like in the balance that offense was like moving but it was like once Georgia kind of figured out you know, I think we have enough points, and they're not going to be able to come back All right, on that's us. that's enough. We're not doing the bus this. Oh, my no, I'm God. just saying you see Georgia do that sort of thing in, in games mm-hmm. more than, like, any other program. Like, you see Ohio State's throwing 50-yard touchdown passes up 65-7 to against Maryland. Like, you just see teams all over the country, I think. I mean, we were doing that to Mizzou last year. I'm, I'm saying a lot of people do it. No shade. It's just not really how Georgia does it. And if you're just basing it off, like, stats versus stats – then they might not they might come up short to what Monken was doing but but still be a really good offense but i i fully expect georgia to continue to have a really good offense this year well there you go um we'll see i think it's just an under talked about thing that both these powerhouse programs could maybe have made bad offensive coordinator hires uh this offseason i think no, it's the definitely Tommy possible worse, did you but... have any other of the <clears throat> over-unders you wanted to get to I, I just thought it was this crazy just really looking quick. at the 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 parody. Just yeah. what do we have? Six teams at six and a half or something. Well, and, that's what I wanted to ask you last. Or like, what is it? One, two, three, four, five, eight teams between seven and a half and six and a half. Yeah. Last one, I'll ask you because I would go back and forth in this. I think one of the two has a good year. South Carolina and Kentucky both at six and a half. There. Who would you bet on more likely to go nine and three? of those two because i think one of them does i think and one just, of them goes nine and three and just for the listeners we got auburn mississippi state kentucky south carolina missouri at six and a half and then mm. Ole Miss, arkansas and a&m at seven and a half so you're saying between between south carolina and auburn is that how you no said? south carolina and kentucky in the south East. carolina and kentucky i think uh, one of them goes nine and three i just i think it's kentucky but you could set like nine and three if Devin Leary is anywhere close to what he was two years ago, yes. That's fair. I think I think Kentucky is the only candidate to do that between mm. those teams. Like, I don't know. South Carolina, I would just – it'd be hard to, to be real positive about 2023 if I'm a South Carolina fan. Other than just, like, the intangible feeling of, like, 
No one thought we were going to be good in 2021, and we had coach of the year. No one thought we were going to be good last year, beat Tennessee and Clemson. So just this, like, feeling of, like, oh, no one ever thinks we're going to be good, and we're going to break through. I get it. Like, I, you, got, you got confidence in Beamer. The, the program just feels way more positive, like, right now. It feels like you're in a good position. But to get those, those transfers the way they did, to lose those transfers the way they did, it's just so demoralizing. Like, oh, but you kept Spencer Rattler, and it's like, well, you know. Is that the one we wanted to keep? Like, obviously, he's a starting quarterback. He's he's fine, but have you gotten more good than bad out of Spencer Rattler? Like, I don't know. Maybe winning those Clemson and, and Tennessee games alone makes it all worth it because that's kind of where South Carolina is. It's like the the the, the good seasons versus the bad seasons just kind of depend on like the the memories you know the marquee wins it's like oh i remember the moments like yeah we beat had that big win over georgia we had that big win over over whoever over over south carolina over tennessee so i just i don't i don't know where the ceiling is like seven feels like the ceiling almost for south carolina because clemson's gonna be good again so you just have clemson just sitting there at the end of every season and like you're saying uh kentucky with devin leary could be better Florida, like, I'm, I'm not high on Florida, but it is year two of Napier, and you see a lot of improvement over teams in year two, and, like, that's just not a lock. Like, where you are as a South Carolina fan, there's, like, no locks on your schedule. Like, you have some teams you think you should beat. They have the, they have be the toughest schedule in college football going in next year. I believe it. So yeah. who do they have else out of conference? Like, Clemson. Is it just Clemson? Is there no, – they have they someone open else. with somebody? Like, it's like North Carolina? I think it is North Carolina. Yes, they open with North Carolina. They get Furman. Like, so the, here's their schedule. Uh, North Carolina on a neutral site at Georgia. And Furman, that, not to interrupt you, but that's what always had, like when Missouri and Kentucky have those like breakthrough seasons, mm. it's four cupcakes out of conference, like every time. And then they win three or four conference games and they like, oh, eight, nine wins. Like, here we go. Yeah. But I'll let you keep going. They're at AM, Florida at home, at Tennessee. Mississippi State at home, at Georgia, at Mizzou, Kentucky at home late, and Clemson at home late. But I just, I think Kentucky is going to be on the flip side here. They have the exact opposite schedule where it's like, I think Kentucky is going to be, when they come to Georgia on October 7th, let's go ahead and pencil this in. They're going to be a top 15 team. Because if you look at the schedule, Ball State at home, Eastern Kentucky, Akron, at Vandy, Florida at home. As long as they take care of business against Florida, they're 5-0. and going in georgia game and then georgia beats the the crap out of them and that changes the 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 calculus there but i would guess that that is how it looks for them early and people are like oh what could could they challenge for the east and then georgia stomps on them and it's like okay no they cannot and then you get mizzou though at home it all depends on how they look like if it's actually devin leary like if they if they they actually look like a good team they always lose at mississippi state so that's like the thing is like whoever the home team is in that mississippi state kentucky yearly rivalry they, the home team wins almost every year. So that's that probably, right? yeah, so that's probably a loss um, at Mississippi State. And then at South Carolina is huge. And at Louisville down the stretch there is huge. But you get Bama at home, but it's a tough year to get Bama. I mean, it's just tough to get Bama in the West draw. So we'll I would s- say maybe this might maybe be this the might greatest be the year. year to ever get Bama, though. So at home, it might yeah. be. Might be the best thing that could have happened to him. And who else they get? Do they and call it the Bo Bryant. The, the, they, they, they do call it the Bryant Bowl, right? 
I mean, the Bear Bryant Bowl. Like, you have no idea what they call the Alabama Kentuckys. Do you remember series. an Alabama Kentucky regular season game? They call it the game? football school versus the basketball school. I don't remember any Kentucky Bama football games regular season. Do you? Do you have any recollection of any Bama Kentucky regular season game? <sighs> That's a good point. Um, I have yeah. no recollection of any Bama Kentucky game. I feel like there was one a few years ago. I want to say with Tua when they were actually when they were pretty good, and I think Alabama X like beat the brakes off of them. I think. Um, I believe you, but I'm, I really have no record. But yeah, you're right. I don't that it doesn't that doesn't ring a bell necessarily. I'm gonna I have to look up and see if I'm right though. I just yeah. If you told me that they've played twice in 30 years, I'd believe you. Like I have no recollection of those two schools playing each other ever. And the regular season just none whatsoever no memory that's a good of point seen. and i think that's been the worst part about this experiment that's been the 14 team sec is just you're not even in the same conference as the the teams that you don't play in in the west every year like you just we're still waiting on on texas a&m versus georgia and college station you know like we're, we're mm. not going to 16 teams and we're still waiting on that so yeah, that's a good point though. I don't I don't ever remember Kentucky and but it's also like why would you? Like it's it's not gonna be circled. It's we only remember that Vanderbilt Alabama game from a couple years ago because that dude talked shit when he said, Bama, you're next after they beat what well, it was like Kansas State or something. Um so yeah, it's a it's a very forgettable game. There you go. Well that's all I've got, Matt Green. Uh anything else you wanna mention here before we wrap up here on this edition of the program? I'm just going to inform the listeners that um, back in 2020, so that would have been Mac Jones, Alabama mm. beat Kentucky 63-3. to three. Yeah, so I don't have any memory of that one. That was um, in Tuscaloosa. Mm. So last last Kentucky win, you got to go back to 1997. 40-34. <sighs> uh, the Wildcats won. I would think 97, that's got to be uh, Tim Couch for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Tim Couch. Back uh, and Dusty Bonner as the as the backup. Mm. They were. I think they were running the air raid. So that was was Mike Leach OC that year. Nineteen ninety seven. He's that's definitely that's definitely around that time for sure. There you go. Um. Well, for that guy down there in Tequila, Georgia. For yes, he was the offensive coordinator. I just looked it up. Um, for that guy down there in Tequila, Georgia, Matt Green. For myself, Chase Thomas up here in Knoxville, Tennessee. Everything School HQ. That is all we've got. Uh, new episode as always next week. Uh, check that out for er, first thing on your podcast feed on Wednesday mornings. Uh, we tape these on Tuesday nights, so check out uh there on your preferred podcast player on YouTube if you want to watch these full episodes. Uh, you can always do that on the YouTube page, YouTube.com slash chase thomas podcast like us on tiktok instagram twitter all that good stuff chase thomas podcast you'll find us there uh matt at matt w underscore matt underscore w underscore green myself at pod chase thomas and chase double underscore thomas as well matt green always a pleasure talk to you soon yes sir Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 